Hello, gorgeous people, and welcome to another TV Central one-on-one podcast. I'm Aaron Ryan. This is episode 55, 2023. The ABC is returning mother and son to our screens. Combining the comedic talents of two of Australia's most beloved comedians, Bat O'Kine and Denise Scott, this fresh reimagining of an iconic family favourite is guaranteed to win the hearts of those who know and love the original and delight fans of contemporary Australian comedy. In collaboration with the original creator, Jeffrey Atherton, re-creator and writer Matt O'Kine, alongside the producing team at Wooden Horse, the team have created the perfect blend of wit, humour and relatability, promising viewers an unforgettable and laughter-filled experience. Stand-up comedian, author and radio presenter Matt O'Kine and can now add uh, actor to that list, although actually this is not his first radio, filling the shoes of one of Australia's greatest comedian talents, Gary McDonald in the role of Arthur. Matt O'Kine joins me now here at TV Central. Matt, thanks for being here. Well, I mean, when you talk about filling the shoes of one of Australia's greatest comedic talents, you sort of start putting the uh, the heebie-jeebies in me, man. I'm starting to get nervous when I hear stuff like that because uh, they are big shoes to fill. But thankfully, I've got size 15 feet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually the first question I wanted to ask about this pressure. I'm going to know this is probably the number one question you get asked, but you are reimagining arguably one of Australia's finest comedies, Mother and Son with Gary McDonald and, and uh, Ruth Cracknell. I know it is a fresh version, but some are going to compare it with the classic and uh, are going to have uh, big expectations. Are you worried at all by the, the feedback from viewers that know the classic version inside out? Oh, I mean, yeah, I'm worried. I'm absolutely worried. I, I, wa- I go, I waver through, you know, confidence. Some days I wake up and be like, no, nah, we got this. And other days I wake up and go, what was I thinking? Why did I put myself <laughs> in this position? Um, but that's part of the, that that fear and that pressure is part of the reason of why I wanted to do it. I mean, it's a big project. Everything about it is big. And it's, you know, there are big expectations and there is a lot of pressure. And I... I'm proud of the fact that we've gotten this far at least. And I think that the only way I would have failed is if I hadn't tried to do it. So um, there's always going to be haters. And at the end of the day, I kind of, I've see, I see haters as a good thing now um, because it just means that the thing that you're doing is in front of people um, who don't necessarily like you, but have to see it because it's everywhere. Yeah, it will be. (laughs) I know. are you going mainly by by memory or when you started this recreation, which I know is going back a little bit, uh, did you go back and watch every episode a uh, hundred times? Yeah, look, I watched so many of the original episodes and um, I didn't watch it from start to finish. I watched it just kind of jumping around episode season to season. And that was actually really good. It was a really good way to approach it because it reminded me of how um, accessible the original series was that you could literally just go jump to season five, episode three, and just turn it on and watch it and love it. Um, And so when we were crafting our show, we really wanted to make the same kind of um, basically, basically sitcom, you know, it's just a situational comedy between these two characters. And yeah, there's a little bit of narrative, but the focus was really on making sure that there was just laugh out loud comedy in every single scene and moment and that we could appreciate each episode for what it was. So, I mean, we got Jeffrey kindly when, after we were lucky enough to get it over the line with him, um, you know, he, we had access to use all those scripts 
Um, but part of the reason why we were remaking it was to show a different Australia from the one that existed 40 years ago. Um, and so it was also kind of important that the voice that we had wasn't his and was mine. So the similarities between me and Jeffrey are actually pretty surprisingly similar, really. I mean, both being 35 year old comedy writers, um, you know, at the time. So it's like, well, he was capturing, he was capturing Arthur's voice at that time. So it would be important for me to capture mm. Arthur of today's voice. So just expanding on that for, um, for viewers that know the original, what elements will we see in this new version and what changes can we expect? In a production sense, the original was done in a studio, I think three camera format in front of a live audience. And it was pretty impressive the way that they did it. You know, Jeffrey would write the scripts every single week. He wrote every single episode. I think wow. he wrote about 42 episodes all by himself. I mean, it was incredible. I, I With our eight episodes, we had two, I had two different co-writers. So I wrote a bunch of episodes. We had Sarah Walker writing um, a bunch of episodes and then Tristram Bomber co-writing with me on a couple of episodes. So uh, it's done. We did single camera shoot on location mostly. Uh, so that production sense, that's different. And I like the way that that, cap that captures the difference between Australian television styles. Mm. That's, you know, the, the, the in front of the in-studio, in front of audience style was very much in the 80s and of the time. And now this single camera on location format is, is what's changed. But when you actually look at the family, um, obviously there are cultural differences because I'm half Ghanaian. Um, there is an African element to this show that is a natural inclusion to any household that is of a mixed race mm. nature. Um, and you know, a lot of people, especially the naysayers are kind of angry about that. And that's kind of probably the most frustrating sticking point for me when we look at the differences, because it's probably the least significant difference in the show, yet it's the one that's getting the most attention because you, there are so many things that have changed in 1980s Australia to now that we've tried to capture. And a lot of that comes down to, you know, approaches to aged care, which have changed since there's been a Royal commission oh, yeah. into aged care since the eighties, uh, technology, how do you, you know, in one of the episodes, my character tracks Maggie because he's worried about her because he's worried that she's going to get lost, but he also doesn't want to tell her that he's tracking her. Now that thing would, that would never, that would never have been possible in the eighties, but that's happening now. And the question is, is it okay? Are you allowed to do that? Is it morally right? And I don't know, I'm not saying whether it is or it isn't, but I wanted us to have that discussion in this show. Um, Arthur has to decide whether he wants to be a sperm donor to a same sex couple it's super unlikely that you would have seen that in 1980s Australian TV. And now we're showing it here because that is a, that is something that a young single guy like Arthur, you know, and I've got friends who have who've been put in that position to go, is this something that I should consider? Do I want to do this? You know, with a lesbian couple that have, that have approached me or that I'm friends with from around the corner. Do I, you know, is this a viable way for us to have this family? And, um, and so there's so many little questions like that that I think are far more interesting yeah. than the fact that my dad's Ghanaian. But, I mean, that's a really important part of it as well because I am just a son yeah. uh, like Arthur is, and that's really all it was about. So for me to exist as a son on TV, I have to have mixed-race parents. That's what Arthur has. 
that's just the only way that it is possible to be portrayed. So um, yeah, there's a cultural element, but there's also so many different elements about what's changed since the eighties to now. One of those scenes there that reminded me you uh, where Arthur's actually tracking Maggie with a mobile phone. Um, and it all seems it's a dog. It's a collar, a dog collar. Oh yeah. <laughs> it, it didn't seem all that bad, but uh, until you saw it from the perspective of the potential girlfriend who thought, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thought you're mad, but uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Filling the uh, the void of uh, Ruth Cracknell as Maggie is uh, one huge feat. I think, uh, was there an auditioning process or was Denise Scott always the number one person in mind or or did her audition just blow it out of the park? No, there was never an audition. I mean, the reason why I came up with the idea was because we, me and Denise were on tour in Hong Kong and yeah. I remember just really enjoying the tour with her. And it's funny because I have this great memory of it and really connecting with her and thinking, God, wouldn't it be great if we did this show? And it was all in my head. I mean, I have no idea what she thought of me. She probably thought I was an annoying, you know, up and coming comic as, you know, thought he was too good for himself or whatever. And so she probably didn't give it a second thought, but I spent 10 years going, God, wouldn't it be great to do this show with Denise? Wouldn't it be great to do this show with Denise? So there was never anyone that else that I wanted to do the show with. And I was really excited when she said yes. And the shoes are big for her as well, because Ruth Cracknell is, you know, was widely, widely, widely loved mm. and was also a great performer. And Denise, you know, knows that. And we've, and we've talked about it. It's like we, we know what we're faced with, the task that we're faced with. But just because it's a difficult task doesn't mean that we're not going to do everything we can to try and do our best to you know live up to those standards and it's not trying to be better than anyone or, or trying to be like anyone yeah. we're just trying to be our versions of these characters and hope that people like and respect them as much as they like the original ones but i mean there were a few moments when i remember early on we all got into this this um you know tarago uh, after we'd filmed one of the episodes uh and we were going back to unit base and make up, you know, makeup teams in there, me, Denise, the driver is in there. And there was just one seat in the middle at the back where that was empty. No one was in it. But then suddenly the seatbelt sign started going off. Ding, ding, ding. As in there's someone sitting in the back seat without their seatbelt on, but the seat was empty. And Denise straight away just said, oh my God, it's the ghost of Ruth. She's coming to check up on us. <laughs> You know, make sure that we're doing a good job. We're doing a good job for you, Ruth. We promise. So, you know, there was, was. there was never there was never any moment where we weren't aware of the the pressure and the expectation. And you know, we really we really worked hard to live up to it. Not everyone will have seen the original, so you're going to have a whole uh, group of new viewers. So, for those people, people, tell me about um, the character of Arthur. Yeah, so Arthur's 35 years old. He's just moved out of, or he's just moved back into home because he's been dumped by his girlfriend quite unexpectedly um, because they want different things. And as Arthur puts it, you know, in the first the first episode, basically he feels like she wanted more sex, whereas she just wanted connection. Um, and Arthur is journalistically in a bit of a rut. And again, that's another thing that I really liked showing the differences in you know, what is a journalist these days and the different lengths that people are going to and the, and the sort of the, you know, when you're in the media back then, it was like newspaper, radio, TV, and the mm. jobs felt, you know, maybe it was just from an outsider's point of view, but the jobs felt secure and there was a, you know, career paths and 
now when you're in the media, it's, it's kind of like the wild West. You don't know what, sometimes you don't know what's going on. There's the, you know, you, you're, you don't know whether you should be on TikTok. Are you supposed to be doing podcasts? Are you supposed to be doing blogs? Are you supposed to be writing for traditional media? Should you be doing TV presenting? Should you be going on radio? There's such a freelance culture that you're often just jumping from one thing to another without any kind of borders. Mm. And I wanted to capture that feeling for, for Arthur as well. Cause in one episode he's writing a, he's trying to set up a website. That's like a male version of Mamma Mia. And the other he's, he's trying to do his podcast and the other he's filming reviews on a little selfie cam with a selfie ring light, you know, about razors. And he's just, he's just treading water, trying to, trying to keep his head above it. Mm. Um, And so he's just a bit of a, he's, he's just in a rut and he needs to get out of it. Um, but he's also got this situation where he can't really get out of it because he's got to be at home looking after his mum 24 seven. Cause he's just not sure what's going on with her. I've watched uh, three episodes of this new version. Um, and two things struck me, um, as perhaps different, um, uh, to, to the original version, although quite poignant, I, I remember the original as mainly a comedy, um, I found this new version to have more elements of drama as well as the comedy. Is is that a fair call? Yeah, definitely. And I think that matches the style of TV that I've always set out to make um, because I just don't think that life is, is all hilarious. And yeah. so I really, I, I, I really feel like for the comedy to, for me, it's like you, you can't have the comedy without the serious bits that, that to me is what makes compelling viewing. So that was certainly a choice that we, we entered into. Um, and again, that might be slightly different to the original, but that's what, that's how styles have changed. Um, and we get, you know, what I'll say is when it gets to around about episode six, it gets pretty real, you know, and there's some really serious moments where we don't, we don't have any intention of being funny at all. And it's actually quite almost heartbreaking. So, um, if you ever saw my series, the other guy, you'll know that that's the, the light and the shade is what I like doing. And if you ever seen any of my stand up shows, there's always really important moments in those too. So yeah, that's just my style and I like it and I'm not going to change. All right. And the second thing I noticed um, is this is from memory of the original, which is a, a while ago is it, is that uh, the show seems um, like it's now it's a lot more of an ensemble rather than purely focusing on the two main leads. Was Was that also a deliberate change? Yeah. Um, when you look at the original, it's actually like incredibly impressive how long they could stay in the single location for. Yeah. So they would be in the house for quite literally 20 minutes yeah. and like without a single break, they could just be in the lounge room for 20 minutes going back and forth. And it's like amazing. But whenever we tried to do that in our version it wasn't because of the, because of the styles, because what you were watching back then was basically a live performance in front of a live audience that was being taped by three cameras. It made sense. But when you, when you started doing that with our new version dynamic, the dynamic and energy of TV shows has changed so much that as an audience member, you expect more, yeah. you kind of need the differences suddenly. And so we, we just wanted to make sure that the locations were changing and that there was a little bit broader reach for some characters that could talk to a wider kind of um, audience at times. So the inclusion of Robbie is certainly 
Robbie being Arthur's sister now in the original Robert was the brother. Um, but Robbie definitely, I wouldn't say he's in it any more than the original, but um, but probably brings more yeah periphery characters along for the ride with her. This wasn't, um, and you sort of alluded to this earlier, this wasn't the first thought to do Mother and Son very recently. This has been a bit of a, a slow burner for quite a while, hasn't it? Um, and I, I thought I read there was even talk of, of actually doing it in front of a, a studio audience uh, at one stage. It was like the first question that came up. I mean, it was funny because we sat down with Todd Abbott, who's the head of comedy at ABC, and we we you know, hadn't told him what we were meeting him about. And mm. it's kind of like you're nervous when you're talking it because because everyone's going to have the same reaction when you say you're going to do it. And they immediately go, that's, no, don't do it. And so you're just like, so we knew what we're up against, right? And Todd had just come into the ABC and I can't speak for Todd, but, you know, he'd, he'd only newly been the head of comedy. And I think it, for him, it was difficult to sort of, say here's I, hey i'm coming in new to this position let's remake a classic yeah. so not only put himself in the firing line but have people say the same thing that they're saying to me you know why why don't you why are you remaking something why don't you make something original and so um yeah it was a very nerve-wracking sort of meeting and eventually even when we were trying to say hey look we've got the rights to this really great australian show it's it's a bit of a classic and straight away he goes please don't tell me it's mother and son. And we were like, well, you know, it actually is. And we had to sort of, you know, still pitch our pitch, you know, shoot our shot. And he came around to it because, and like everyone did, you know, and then I think he went back to the ABC and said, they want to make mother and son. And I think the ABC, you know, the higher beings, the ABC said, no, you know, it's going to be too difficult. And then they read what we'd written and then they came around and it's constantly a matter of bringing people around and I mm. think that that's what's going to happen with the audience. I think so many people are going to say oh, I shouldn't be doing it. And the funny thing is, I think that I've been hearing that ever since I started, came up with the idea. Yeah. So uh, it's it's not new to be saying to me, oh, why are you remaking? You shouldn't be doing it. Because I just, I, in my head, I'm like, just watch the just watch our show and you'll see. It's fine. Two can exist. And so, um, yeah, we thought as soon as, as soon as Todd had, we broached it with Todd, he was like, so would we do this in front of a live audience? And, um, and yeah, we just wanted to do, do a more modern style. Now, the funny thing is everyone wants to make a TV show in front of a live audience at the moment. I don't know a single person who's like, who doesn't want to take on that challenge. Yeah. But I think in that instance, it would have felt too much like the original. And that's what, not what we were trying to do. Well, a lot of people will know you from, obviously, from comedy, but this is not your first uh, radio with acting. You're in H2O, Just Add Water, and also, obviously, the other guy uh, on Stan. Are, are you getting the acting bug now? Are we going to see you as a um, long-lost son of Elf Stewart on Home and Away soon? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know what? I'm glad you put that out there, because you never know. Um, I mean, I studied an acting degree at QUT, studied Bachelor of Fine Arts and Acting. So that is actually what my only qualification is. Um, I've never studied writing and I've never studied TV production or film and TV. And I certainly never studied stand-up comedy. So um, funnily enough, being an actor is, is actually all I'm qualified to be. Um, but I have been doing it sort of on and off. And I guess the reason why I started making my own shows is because there were just not roles for me that I liked. And often, you know, when you, certainly when I started acting in the very early 2000s, the only roles that really popped up for me were American 
roles, um, which is why I got, you know, roles like, you know, uh, in Aquamarine, because you're playing the best friend of the guy who's the lead, you know? Um, And there were more black people in America. So whenever there was, there was American productions, they would always need black actors to be in it. Whereas there was never that need or want in Australia for so long. Um, The H2O thing was funny because I went for one of the roles as the boyfriend of one of the main characters and ended up getting his role as Laurie, the dolphin trainer, which was a couple of episodes, but I was working with Jeffrey Walker at the time, who's since gone on to just some seriously incredible stuff. And he got me back for the second season where I was in a couple of episodes of that. And that still would have to be my most highly recognized role 20 years later, you know, like, (laughs) it's like, I was like a dolphin trainer for five episodes of H2O and still I'll get people going, Oh my God, are you Laurie from H2O? Because they are, because H2O fans are like absolutely fanatical. Like they just love it. And they watched it when they were 10 years old and now they're 25 and Mm. they, you know, they, what they must've worn the VHS out because they've just watched it (laughs) so much. And I remember being in Japan once. We went to this restaurant with this comedian friend of ours called Waka. You might have seen him on the Melbourne Comedy Festival Gala. And um, he took us to this restaurant. And um, we're in the middle of Japan. And this Canadian family, I think they would have been Japanese Canadian, um, leaned across and tapped me on the shoulder and said, excuse me, my daughters have recognized you from TV. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm positive they haven't because we're in Tokyo right now and you're Canadian. And I said, where, where do you guys live? And they said, oh, Toronto and stuff. And I said, you yeah, know, look, there's literally no way that you, they would know me from TV. And then they said, no, they're sure that they've seen you. And I said, look, the only thing I might've done would be this dolphin show called H2O 20, like 15 years ago. And then he was like, no, that's it. They love that show. That's exactly the show. And I just couldn't like, you know, you can't, the reach of that show around the world is just wild. So it's funny as an actor, you never know what gigs are going to be the ones that, you know, that, that, that sort of help boost you. Yeah. So, um, also I wanted to ask, aside from mother and son, what, what have you been up to, to lately? And, and is possibly coming up. Is there still a lot, lot happening for you on the, on the comedy stand up uh, sort of circuit? No, I want to keep making TV shows. Okay. I really want to make TV shows. I want to keep walking, working with Wooden Horse, um, producing shows and sort of a slate of of my own with them. Um, the goal being to, you know, I've just moved to Brisbane, moved back to Brisbane after being away for 15 years. So what I really want to do is make shows in Brisbane. I want to showcase Brisbane because um, we see Melbourne on screen. We see Sydney on screen. Um, And I just want us to appreciate Brisbane for what it is and sort of bring some work to the, to the industry. Cause what I don't want to happen is for people to have to move away. um, Like I did, you know, when you were in the early two thousands, it's like, you just couldn't really have a solid film and TV career in Brisbane. It just was impossible. So you kind of got to be the change. So I want to move back and actually try to build something here. Can you remind uh, the audience of your book, um, Being Black and Chicken and Chips of People? Because uh, this was uh, shortlisted for Best Newcomer a couple of years back, wasn't it? Yeah. So that is set in a fake town called Brindlewood, which is basically Brisbane. Um, and it's about a 12-year-old boy 
half Ghanaian kid who's trying to start high school and trying to fit in with all the other kids um, while his mum dies of cancer. So, you know, that's heavily, well, semi-autobiographical and it was based on a stage. Well, my first stand-up show, my first solo stand-up show, which ended up winning Best Newcomer with Ronnie Cheng um, alongside Ronnie Cheng at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And that was actually part of the thing that kickstarted my journey into international touring, which put me into shows like the, you know, Hong Kong um, Melbourne Comedy Festival Roadshow in Hong Singapore and Hong Kong, which I did with Ronnie and with, lo and behold, Denise Scott. So it's funny how these things all sort of work together. I always liken, you know, if anyone who's in the industry or cares about trying to sort of what you'd say, make it or, or, you know, turn pro, I guess, professional, it's like every single little thing you do just keeps pushing against that damn wall. And you don't really necessarily know what the thing is that's going to be the thing that breaks the wall down. Mm. And suddenly all the work starts happening. But if it's as long as you keep putting pressure on it, you know, so doing the stand up show, writing the book, I just like doing all of it. And so I just keep putting stuff out there um, and keep enjoying it. And really, the my career really changed when I just started making things for me, making things that I wanted to make. Yeah. And, um, and, and stop trying to wait for people to, you know, waiting for the phone to call because it was just not calling. So I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to start doing my own thing. And so I started writing these stories that are personal and um, semi-autobiographical and that, the, that book, that stand-up show is now the book being black and chicken, the chips. And we're currently in late stage development for the feature film of that. So I just keep telling stories, whether I'm doing it on the radio or whether I'm doing it on stage or whether I'm doing it on TV. I just like telling stories. I'm glad you mentioned the the, the feature film because I, I couldn't find the reference, but I remember reading somewhere that you were looking to turning the book into a feature film. So you're saying that's sort of in, in, in late production now, is it? Is it? It's in late development, late stage I, development. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's taken a while. There was a pandemic in the middle of it i had to make two tv shows you know the second season of the other guy um and then this season of mother and son so it's one of those things that i just keep chipping away but that's that story's so personal that there's no time limit on it you know and plus it's set in 1998 I, you know it's not gonna the story doesn't change <laughs> from when i when it happened to to now if it happens if i tell it today or if i tell it in two years time it's still going to be the same story yeah. All right. And finally, um, back to mother and son. Look, I don't want to 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 make you uh, any more nervous, but based on on a on a, a hot show that spanned uh, nearly fifty episodes, had big stars, and ABC is giving uh, you the plum eight thirty Wednesday slot, home to Sean McAuliffe, but Will Anderson, um, those type of shows, some great new Australian shows, um, in in that late nine pm slot as well. Um, you're in that Wednesday slot. I just feel you're going to get a lot of reviews coming in. Um, obviously some fresh reviews as well that people that are just seeing this kind of um show for the first time and didn't see the original, but obviously um, with other people, there's there's an iconic legacy. Are, are you are you ready for it? Yeah, I was talking to Tom Gleason at the Logies actually, because he was like, "Man, you're gonna get eyeballs." It's eight thirty Wednesday. We're coming fresh off Hard Quiz, and he's like, "People will watch it," and there is no doubt about it. And I mean, that's exciting. Like, it's 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 super exciting. It's super exciting to be in the prime time slot. 
it's super exciting that a lot of people are going to watch it and judge it. Um, and it's just exciting that you're talking to that many voices. I mean, I remember when I started at Triple J and it's funny because you get used to people not liking you. It's just kind of what, because they, because you just can't please everyone. So you just get used to people not liking you. And, um, and you know, more often than not, you just have to decide whether it, well, you just have to remind yourself that it's not you. It's just that people have different tastes, but that all tastes are valid. So I liken what I do to being a chef. And if I cook a meal, that's, it's literally impossible for me to go, okay, I'm going to cook one meal for everyone. And we're all going to sit down and eat at 8.30 on a Wednesday night. Yeah. Right. And so that's, I've just got to make, I've just got to try and decide the best meal for half a million to a million people at once. And whatever meal I decide, I've just got to commit to it. And I've just got to make it as best as I can. And ultimately, I've really just got to make a meal that I love and hope that other people like it as well. Because I feel like I've got pretty similar tastes to a lot of people. But anytime, if you try to please 500,000 people with one meal, someone's going to be like, oh, this meal's too hot. Or this meal's too cold. Or I don't like coriander. Or I don't feel like beef wellington today. Or whatever. You just cannot please people. But the very fact that you've been able to feed that many mouths is so exciting, you know, that you've been put on that stage. So I'm really, really excited. So when I was working at Triple J and I remember my first week, I literally remember this this guy tweeting at me, including me in the at saying how much, how bad I was, how much I was a bad replacement for Tom Ballard, how much I shouldn't be in it, in that position. And I remember three years later when we announced that we were leaving Triple J, I remember a tweet coming saying i'm gonna miss these guys so much it was the same guy it was ex- like i <laughs> remember him vividly i was like you you sent hate mail to me at the beginning and now you're gonna miss me so you know sometimes people just need to sort of give things a chance first yeah i hated olives when i first ate them and now i really like olives <laughs> you know it's it's just and but also i've hated banana my whole life Nothing will change that. I don't, you know, I don't know what's going to make people, make people's taste buds, you know, tingle. I've just got to make sure that I do the, what's what I really like. And I think I've done that with this show. Well, I thought it was a pretty good meal. I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Best of luck, Matt, to yourself, Denise, and the team on reimagining this iconic Aussie series. And it's great seeing Australian comedy um, in prime time on free to air. So we don't see that too often. Um, thank you for joining me uh, here at TV Central. Thanks, Aaron. Really appreciate it. All right, that was Bad O'Kine playing the lovable Arthur in The New Mother and Son, which will have its world premiere on Wednesday, the 23rd of August, 8.30pm on ABC TV and ABC iView. Well, that's it for this podcast. For all the latest television news, streaming options, ratings, television guides and podcasts, head to tvcentral.com.au. But for now, I'm Aaron Ryan, and thanks to Matt O'Kine. Bye for now. (laughs) 